leaders are necessary to start but institutions are necessary to sustain any big enterprise is never started by an institution any new enterprise is started by a leader but it will be sustained by an institution so this is the importance of a leader and institution Thanks for joining us for Building Pakistan, a conversation with Pakistan's beloved institution builders to explore how they've built and really continue to build this young country. I'm Benji Williams from Amal Academy, and in today's conversation, we get to meet with Dr. Amjad Saqib, who's the founder and CEO of Akhuit, Pakistan's largest Islamic microfinance institution. What I love about Dr. Saab and Ahuit is that they are really one of the few social enterprises who have managed to cross the chasm and reach incredible scale, becoming really a North Star for many of us in the social sector. Currently, they're working with over 5,000 employees to reach over 2.5 million households across 700 branches in just the past 16 years. And today we're going to dig into how they've done that and also talk about phase two of Ahuit, which is the really exciting work that they're doing in education through Ahuit University, Ahuit College, over 250 schools that they've adopted, and a lot more. Dr. Amjit Saqib is also not a typical entrepreneur in that he has a background as a civil servant officer. And so we're also going to try and understand more about what makes Dr. Amjit Saqib Dr. Amjit Saqib, some of his spiritual beliefs, some of his practices and his routines, and really the inspiration behind his work and his journey. So just starting off, uh, you know, I think most of our listeners would have a good idea about Ahuit and what Ahuit does, mm -hmm. but probably not so much uh, into the details of how Ahuit has been able to scale and what have been the, the details of the journey, you can mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And so... Ahuit started in 2001, and the objective, of course, was to provide interest-free microfinance loans to the poor in order to help enhance their, their quality of life. And I just heard recently that it took 10 years to reach 1 billion Pakistani rupees in terms of the loans dispersed. And now every single month, you're dispersing about 1.3 billion, which is mind-boggling and incredible. And I think um, there's this incredible quote that you have from an interview you gave at Georgetown University. And you said that the goal should be to develop a single system of education so that every Pakistani child should have the access to reach his or her full potential through education. No doubt it will be an arduous and painful process because change is always painful it will also take a long time as injustices spread over centuries cannot be removed in a short span of time. And I think this is such an incredible vision and something very similar to what we're aspiring for at Amal Academy and what we think the country needs. And yet it's arguably very different than the programs and, and services that Ahuit has provided over the last 16 years. And so I think one question for entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs is how do you stay focused on one thing for how and for how long? In other words, how did you decide that it was the right time to go into education if this was one of the visions that you had since, you know, back in your University of Virginia days? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I know you have been a consultant for, for many years in education as well. So it must have been a temptation to get into education earlier. How did you decide not to get into it? And when did you decide was the right time to get into it? You know, let, let me see, uh, tell you that uh, the real success in life is being focused. You must be focused. There are many things to do in life, but you can't do everything. One of the reasons of success of Akhuvat is that we remain focused. When we achieved a small degree of success, many people came to us that now you should start a hospital, now you should start an education institution, now you should work for human rights, now you should work for environment, 
now you should work for you know training skills capacity many other areas all these areas help in poverty alleviation right but we remain focused we said no we will do only that thing we will only choose that path which has not been you know traveled this is our niche interest free microfinance nobody giving so this is our moment of glory this is how we can excel so despite many temptations pressures and uh, you know uh, people giving money that do this we give you money but we remain focused so this is one best thing i have learned in life that you must be focused you must remain focused so you've made but but let let me let me explain please, please. but gradually you know we realize that the poverty alleviation which we are doing through microfinance is just like you know extinguishing fire it's just like an emergency treatment you are giving somebody 20 30000 40000 rupees helping him to start a business earning something at the end of the day and you know just living so this is an emergency treatment you are just extinguishing fire but ultimate salvation of a nation lies in education so if you really want to alleviate poverty then you will have to you know mobilize people from the you know lower echelons of society to the top level and the vehicle for that is only education so this you know all this previous experience shapes your future uh, road future you know map and future directions so this the while working with the khuwat it is an organic really improving thing it is something you know uh, sociological and organic it was an action research as well and we were learning doing learning doing learning doing so in the meantime i realized that uh, this is the emergency treatment which we are doing and after 12 13 14 years i thought that uh, maybe uh, financial inclusion becomes irrelevant after 30 40 50 60 years this slogan this strategy for poverty alleviation but something will never be irrelevant is education oxford will always be oxford cambridge will since 700 years it is building civilization it is producing leaders it's uh, you know making this world beautiful the people coming out of there so for me education and microfinance is the ultimate goal converges that this brings emergency treatment and this is the permanent salvation this is another thing uh, you know why we uh, you know focused our attention towards this university that people started asking me what is your succession plan in akhwat so i was extremely you know uh, started thinking that uh, maybe my son never likes to join hands with me maybe the sons or daughters of our other board members don't like to join or forward so what is the succession plan where will i where will we find those committed those highly you know motivated people believing in this cause so we thought we should institute uh, you know uh, build an institution where we should pick extremely disadvantaged children give them best education and at the same time train them according to the virtues and values and traditions of a khuwat so there are many <laughs> different yeah. you know it's an incredible vision and and um, momentum already in in such a few short years in the education space and what i'm really intrigued by and inspired by is this focus on focus that a khuwat for the first i guess it must be 11 or 12 years was just just focus on focus on, on, on microfinance and so i'm wondering um about the geographical expansion mm-hmm. as well and the role that that has played in khuwat's journey because for us and and i think others there's always a temptation to go to um other cities and other provinces and potentially even other countries And so I know that Ahuit was in Lahore originally and then very quickly kind of expanded into other cities. Do you feel that that was a part of the strategy that that was necessary that that was helpful 
in terms of building a nationwide or I guess first uh, a Punjab wide and then nationwide institution? Do you feel you expanded into other cities too quickly? Uh, what was the thought process for like the first city that you expanded into outside of Lahore? You know, Benji, you know, the first thing we remained focused three, four years only in Lahore. You know, those were extremely uh, uh, formative uh, days. We were learning, we were building, we were, you know, again learning, we were faltering, we were rising, we were documenting. As I mentioned, it was an action research. We were researching, we were, I was very open to the ideas throughout the world. I visited Bangladesh, I learned from many other microfinance institutions, uh, from South, from South American institutions, from, you know, we did a lot of international research. And then we, you know, perfected the model first. You know, it's, it's a very different kind of a model. So, when we perfected the model, then we started going to the next cities. What was the first city that you... Uh, that was in, Fais in Faisalabad, okay. we started. Wo With that was, Abu Bakr that was, that, and the Yeah, that was my, my village. Okay. My village. I brought okay. it to my village. My father said that you are doing so many good things. Why don't you uh, 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 start there? So we started second in in uh, Road, okay. my village. Then, then we went to Sargodha and then went to other places. So this is this five us. You know we are expanding. Then we started doing in all four provinces, and now we are the uh, in, in 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 microfinance, both conventional and Islamic. We are the biggest one in uh, Pakistan, both geographically, okay. in terms of market share, in terms of active loans. Can I ask what it was like when you expanded to Festival? What did you learn about the model? Was it really challenging compared to in Lahore? And then you went Festival to Sargoda. For example, Amal, we expanded to Festival last year, and there are a lot of challenges, and we're surprised at the differences in even a city that's only two hours away. And so I'm wondering, is that unique to us, or did you have a lot of learning and challenges that you faced and then was it the same going Faisalabad to Sargoda where there are a little less challenges and then Sargoda to the next city where there are a little less challenges? There were, absolutely. There were some challenges, some something new in every city. You know, every city where we went, people said, oh, Lahore, you live in Lahore. So, that is the reason uh, that uh, you are achieving 100% recovery percentage. People in our city, you will never find that success. Everywhere, 100% recovery. We are working in 400 cities of Pakistan, all provinces. And uh, everywhere, our recovery percentage is 99.9. .9. So, that proves my, you know, uh, assumption that people are trustworthy and don't believe in charity. Provided you give them respect, you engage them on some principles you you know uh, uh, trust them and you are willing to learn from their wisdom you are not going with the blueprint model let the model emerge from the local culture local you know traditions and local strengths so the engagement and dialogue is extremely important i am i'm a spiritual person i'm not a very religious person but i'm a spiritual person so I, I firmly believe that if you are working with all sincerity to serve the people of God, God will help you. You know, we got so much support from every city gradually. The like-minded people came. They, they started working for us on a volunteer basis. Even our borrowers, they were so inspired by the vision that they became our volunteers, they became our supporters. And, uh, you know, microfinance gradually became just a means to achieve an end. The end became the bond of solidarity and building a society. Mm -hmm. So, we, when we transfer, the challenge is to transfer the vision. So, if you are able to transfer the vision in your employees and in your borrowers, then they become you know, part of the ecosystem. They become the part of the whole movement. They become part of the whole organization. So 
wanted to ask about this idea of transfer specifically with the government because I think a lot of entrepreneurs realize that if you want to achieve the change the country needs, to some extent you might have to work with the government because they have that scale and that scope. And so you guys who had started working with the government formally, at least uh, to my knowledge in 2012, and at that point, it really kind of scaled up what Ahut was already doing quite um, impactfully. And I wanted to ask, like, what enabled or what has enabled you to work with the government in a way that perhaps other organizations have struggled to do? What, what enabled you at that point in 2012 to be ready to work with the government? In 10 years, we dispersed 1 billion rupees. When I went to the chief minister and told him that uh, I have, with this help of all my friends, we have been able to bring a big change. Because at that time, even at that time, it was a big experience that a civil society organization without any help reaching 100,000 people. So I told him uh, that we have done such a big thing. So he smiled and then he said that uh, Dr. Shah, you have a bigger potential. Only 100,000 in 10 years. So, <laughs> then I asked him that I can obviously go for a bigger uh, scale, but uh, if you allow us to work uh, with the state, if you give us resources, we bring this model. You give resource, we bring passion. You give resource and we bring uh, management capacity and leadership. Hmm. And the spirit and the principles and all the team, all the learnings. So, he gave us plenty of money and uh, for one year, he was very cautious. He said that we will examine what was happening after one year. And then the results which he received after one year was mind-boggling. So, then his trust, you know, increased manifold. Our trust in state increased manifold. One thing I asked the chief minister, which he honored, I, I truly appreciate him for that. I told him that uh, we will be successful only if you don't tinker with our model. Mm. Let it be purely pro-poor and non-political. We believe in non-discrimination. So, and number one. Number two, nobody should be allowed to, you know, interfere in our operations. So if you allow us full autonomy and independence in those, these two things, inshallah, I am sure that this will never fail. Hmm. And uh, believe you me that uh, we are working with government since last seven years and uh, not a single, you know, interference in our affairs. Hmm. Who will be giving loan, who will be recruited, things like that. So. Public-private partnership is extremely important. Small is beautiful, but large is necessary. You must have a big heart. You know, for a partnership, you don't need a big intellect. For a partnership, you need a big heart. Mm. You must be ready to accommodate, to listen, to you know, uh, uh, manage the conflict, to give somebody due respect. Another thing which I learned is that always give credit to others. Mm. Especially in our society, if you are willing to give even your credit to others, then you are successful. The big heart is, is definitely necessary. And, and yet, I also want to explore the role or importance of the systems that you had built leading up into that point. Because 100,000 is not a small number. You guys have, I think, reached around 2 million mm -hmm. households now, okay. which is incredible but even a hundred thousand is also incredible and to do that in 10 years is incredible and so it must be dependent on some systems the the four principles which you said earlier um and a very unique model which i feel and i have the sense that maybe we all don't always think in terms of systems as entrepreneurs 
And so I'm wondering what lessons you might have learned about building those systems. Did you start with those immediately? Did they come after no, 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 five or six it was, years? It was five, six, seven years what? took us to build the system. You know, uh, let me say that uh, leaders are necessary to start, but institutions are necessary to sustain. Any big enterprise is never started by an institution. Any new enterprise is started by a leader. Hmm. But it will be sustained by an institution. So this is the importance of a leader and institution. Both are needed. If this miracle is not handed over to an institution, if your success is not handed over to an institution, it is not within, uh, brought within the, uh, you know, parameters or the domain of institutional framework, you will lose it. You will be remembered as a good person who did something miraculous, something wonderful, something good for the people. But, you know, real challenge is sustainability. Real challenge is longevity. How your legacy will be, you know, carried forward. So this is extremely important. We built institutions, we built systems, procedures, manuals, MIS, technology, quality human resource, training them, and then setting an example. And what setting personal example is extremely important. One of the things I want to get back to this idea of management and leadership and and development of your team, um, but I wanted to first ask a question just about the model itself and especially the focus on efficiency, which you had sort of alluded to before, which is you're operating in mosque, which helps bring the cost down and there's no ACs and people are sitting on the floor and there's not a lot of like cars and all of these things. And I think one of the underlying principles you know, is efficiency, efficiency and how to Absolutely. bring the cost down to the most minimal level. I read somewhere, I think from Malcolm Harper, that the goal was initially to have um, the cost be about 5% of a loan dispersed. Operating costs would be about 5% of that. And I read that I think it's around 9% right now. And so I was just wondering, and, and compared to global standards, I think it's like 20 plus, even 30% or above. And so what role do you think, I mean, we often talk about revenue and income, and that's very important. But I think that's often, ironically, at the expense of the expense side. We don't focus on the cost so much. What, what was your focus in the first few years on this and what role you did know, that play? The lesson I learned was that uh, there are two ways of uh, achieving financial sustainability. One is increase your revenue. In our case, it is the donation. Increase your donation. And the other is reduce your cost. Hmm. There is no other way. If you, are, if you are stick to these two principles, you, are, you will achieve sustainability. We know how to enhance the donation base, but we don't know or don't believe in reducing cost. Because that comes at personal expense. You have to sacrifice. So to reduce cost, we I searched a lot. How can I reduce cost? Five or six ideas came to my mind. First of all, using the religious infrastructure that will reduce cost. Number one, hiring low qualified human resource but extremely motivated at the same time. If I hire a LUMS graduate, I will have to give him a high salary. If I hire a person who is not as educated but who is more motivated and need of uh, um, uh, salary because of his poverty and if I uh, you know, spend some time in telling him my vision and train him for this particular business, so that is a better bet and it has proved in 17 years. So, number three, when we started Okovat, uh, we had no money at all. We had no office at all. We just uh, hired a one room in a, you know, kachi basti, in a, in, a, in, a, in a slum area. 
we had no chair, we had no table. So I brought, uh, I requested my mother, will you give me your carpet? She gave me her, her carpet and I put it on the floor and we started sitting there. And still after 17 years, I sit on the floor. My senior managers sit on the floor. And this is because we believe that uh, adherence, uh, sticking to tradition is extremely important. We will never forget how we started our journey if we continue to sit on the floor. But that was also a strategy to reduce cost. And then number four, we said that it is a banker to the bike, banker on a bike uh, uh, game. Why should we, uh, we don't need cars and big, uh, you know, uh, uh, transport to reach our poor. So we relied on bicycles and motorbikes. Hmm. And then one of the most important principles is volunteerism. So it's a combination of necessary compensation and volunteers. We inspired uh, 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 professional, the accountants, the finance managers, the HR experts, that please give us one day, two day, three day, in a month or in a week. So this combination of volunteerism and necessary compensation. So we brought it down, brought it down, brought it down. And then, uh, you know, Alhamdulillah, we are achieving it around mm -hmm. 7%, 8%. It is, in fact, 13 or 14%. But actual physical financial expenses 7 to 8% only. Remaining 5-6% is the volunteer. You, if you, you know, uh, transfer that volunteer time in uh, money, mm. then it may become 13-14%. But, you know, actual, uh, you know, the financial expense is around 7-8%. It uh, becomes more when we are growing. Mm. When we are opening new branches, when we are going to the far-flung area. For example, working in FATA is a challenge. It is extremely expensive. Working in Gilgit, Baltistan is extremely expensive. But still, the overall, you know, cost remains uh, minimum. And mind you, uh, this includes all, this is not only operational expense, the building of infrastructure, buying of, uh, you know, computers and uh, developing the systems and then manuals and the marketing, everything inclusive, the cost is around 7-8%. Hmm. And we, we are very, very strict on it. Hmm. And uh, another thing of financial sustainability that we defined an optimal workload. That's what workload should be optimal for an employee. Generally, uh, around 150 loans are given by one uh, loan officer, less than that. But we took it to around uh, 300. Hmm. So that means our employee is twice uh, uh, working and giving the same results. And in terms of uh, revenue streams, I haven't actually looked at the um, financial annual document, but the donations is roughly what percent versus, I guess you have the fees, some small fees. The donation from the borrowers, you mean? Yeah, donations from borrowers or from the borrowers. Off the cuff, I can't say anything, but uh, it's substantial amount. Hmm. Substantial amount. And uh, I think uh, uh, we're able to cover, if we allocate the donation from the borrowers and the uh, 100 to 200 rupees application fee from the borrower mm. to our overall expense, I think it's 30 to 40 percent. Okay. And, um, and I guess I would love to talk now a little bit more about the management side because obviously that's a huge part of building a system is the people that are in place mm. and like you said, mm. able to be that institution essentially it's not no longer dependent on any one leader and you know every organization says they invest a lot in training they invest in a lot in in selecting the right people and to a certain extent i, I believe that's true um and yet somehow some organizations have very different results than other organizations and so i'm wondering you know when you look back or even at where who it is right now um, what do you feel is different or I guess to put it another way, um, how are you able to develop and instill those 
skills so that you have an organization that's always learning, that's always improving, that feels the responsibility that they have each and every day across 5,000 people. I mean, it's, um, it's easy to imagine across 10 or maybe 20, but once you start getting to even 30 or 40, I feel like what worked before no longer works anymore. You know, Benji, it's, it's very, very interesting to talk about human resource in Akhubat. It's a long story. Mm. This is the real strength of Akhubat. And let me say, Akhubat's human resource is absolutely unique and different. You cannot compare it with any other HR model. Mm. What I speak here in Lahore, Exactly the same terminology, same words are spoken in Hunza, same words are spoken in Leari, same language is spoken in Koita, same language is spoken in South Waziristan. How does that happen? So this is, the you know, my challenge is as a teacher leader is to teach them and to lead them. Same, they are at the same frequency. There at the, you know, even the uh, words, selection of words is the same. It is the same McDonald's which is, you know, sold in Peking and the, at uh, Washington, D.C. Akhubat is a mission, Akhubat is a movement and Akhubat is an institution. It has the flexibility and fluidity of uh, um, movement. But it is the, it is has the rigidity of an institution as that. Most of my time now is vested on uh, arranging and uh, delivering, you know, um, training sessions to my staff. I work, I go, to, I have trained. I can take pride in it that out of these five thousand people, I have met everybody. Hmm. There is no CEO who can claim that he has met his all 5,000 employees. I have met them. I have spent time with them. I have given them two to three to four hours training sessions. Because I cannot satisfy myself if I not transferring directly what is my vision, what is my board's vision. Mm. So this personal relationship, every 5,000 out of 5,000, every employee is just one phone message away from me. Everybody has my phone number. In fact, my phone number is written on our website. Hmm. My phone number is written on every 700 offices. Every borrower can send me a message. So this personal relationship, you know, leadership is, uh, you know, working directly with the employees at the lowest level. If there is a gap, if there is something, the more distance increases, the more message, you know, gets weaker. And this personal interaction and this gelling together, working together like a team, this is, this creates magic. This inspires people. Mm. So this is my biggest challenge that how I continuously interact with, with there are certain disappointments every day. But these disappointments inspire me to go. Whenever I feel myself weaker, I meet. I start meeting borrowers and my lowest employees. Believe you me, I get tremendous strength, and I'm you know extremely um, top of the world. I, I want to come back to that um, at some point, but quickly I want to ask. If there has been any moment where you have felt the culture in the organization wasn't exactly where you wanted it to be. And every day, even now, what do you do? I mean, can you share a moment with us uh, and what you did during that moment in order to adjust it? You know, I have set the bar very high. I get one or two complaints in a week or in a day that our staff has not uh, behaved in the best possible way. Generally speaking, there is no complaint. But still, the level of their respect to the borrower 
is not the same as I want. Because Khubat is all about sacrifice, respect, accommodation. A poor man starts you know, his journey from his home and then thinks, then, you know, there is rain, there is, he's walking on foot and, you know, so many problems, he comes to the office with the hope. And he has not come there on his own. Somebody has sent him there. I believe that a person, if he comes to Akhuvat's office, somebody has designed, somebody has sent him. And uh, I want that he should be treated like a VIP, VVIP. You know, if a uh, uh, Prime Minister of Pakistan sends somebody to my office with a chit, that he is known to him and he wants him to be helped, what will I do? I will stand and then I will receive him, then I will greet him and then I will do everything possible. But that poor man is coming to us with a letter from Allah Almighty. He has sent him to us. He is watching us. He is testing us. So if we don't give him that VVIP protocol, he should be given a better VVIP protocol as compared to somebody sent by the Prime Minister. So this is the, uh, in very simple words, we teach our staff that any poor man entering a corporate office is sent by God and he is, being, he is testing you that how compassionate you are. How true you are to the philosophy of your institution. Are you making just lofty claims? Are you really believe in it? So this is the kind of culture I want to have in uh, office. Sometimes I am not as polite or as compassionate. I am a human being. So my team, whole 5000 people. So the bar is very high mm. and uh, we are moving in a right direction and we, we Alhamdulillah, if you go and meet our borrowers, you will find them praising these people. So, you mentioned it's not always exactly as you want it and sometimes that's discouraging. How do you... It's not discouraging. How do you find the balance, I guess, between the maybe frustration you might feel... No, and no, the I have absolutely no frustration. Well, it is not discouraging, it is not frustrating, but mm. the point is it's a continuous struggle to do better. Mm. It is continuous struggle to achieve excellence. So if you see one of your team members who's not exactly giving the VVIP treatment, um, do you feel a little frustrated? Do you no, feel no. disappointed? I feel that there is more space for me to uh, intervene. Hmm. More space for the higher management to work on him. There is more uh, challenge for us. Because, you know, I know our society we have produced very poor professionals. I have worked in many NGOs, I have worked in uh, government department and I know that uh, my staff is working much better than them. That is a sense of satisfaction for me. But my challenge is to keep on improving. Whenever I get a complaint that I have been ill-treated, mm. so first of all I blame myself. Yeah, so that's, I guess, the question I want to ask because I feel many entrepreneurs have that same internal reflection and whether it's a, a disappointment or a frustration or just the aspiration to be better in yourself internally, it, it doesn't feel like you're reaching your full potential or you're realizing what society needs of you. And so I guess that's a little bit of my question. You're right. You're right. Is how to manage that internal tension that you might feel when you see your team is not exactly where you want them to be. And Benji, this gives me inspiration. You have never, uh, you know, before working in a forward, I was a different kind of a man. I had little patience. I was, uh, you know, sometimes rude. But Working in Akhubat has totally transformed. It's a great spiritual experience. I have learned patience. I have learned to remain happy. I have learned to remain contented. I have learned to face a, a, a defeat. I have learned to uh, face uh, disappointments. 
all these things don't make give me any kind of frustration before coming to here uh, to a homework or in the initial years i used to be frustrated the results are not coming but now gradually i have learned the biggest lesson of my life i will not be judged on the outcome i will be judged on the input god will not ask me what is the result of your effort god will ask me what is your effort show me so i believe in giving the best i sh- i believe in giving 24 hours what results it brings that doesn't bother me the result i evaluate i see the impact i see the outcome i see the output but only for course correction if something is not working then i will alt alter and find a different way but i never uh, weigh myself evaluate myself on the ultimate outcome because this is not my uh, you know this is god's this is divine mm-hmm. if he doesn't want to change the world i cannot but i am here to make my best effort to change the world the ultimate change uh, this is god's purview so i am extremely satisfied when i go to bed i you know look back and see what i have done in these 24 hours or 12 hours if i made the best effort i am satisfied and when i get up in the morning i then uh, pray that i spend next 12 hours in the best every i'm unsable of every second of my life god has given me this uh, great uh, gift of life every second you cannot count in millions and millions and millions of dollars the the, the uh, this the one moment's price so he will ask me where did you spend this one moment are you were you delivering were you sharing were you taking care of my people i sent you in this world with a purpose did you realize that purpose what effort you made to achieve that purpose what is the result of that purpose uh, that uh, uh, you know effort i will never be asked i wanted to ask just one or two last questions uh, maybe you know benji i am not able to express in english because no, i have no, some limitations i'm getting it perfectly but the point is if you allow me to tell all these things in urdu then i may be more I'm you know ge- i'm already getting it perfectly <laughs> so thank you so much for that and dealing with the lack of uh, my lack of urdu speaking <laughs> um so you talk about how you spend your day and each one of your minutes and i find your professional journey incredible in that you were a, a civil servant and then in 2001 you started akhwit but still you were working with the punjab rural support program for i think another 4 years or so mm-hmm. while growing akhwit into what it has become and you're working at a hut basically full time but also essentially working full time as a consultant in order to manage the expenses and and have um you know sustainability for the family etc so how uh, do you do that all what what is your routine essentially is what i'm curious to know <laughs> you must be waking up at like 3 a.m. 4 a.m. to get all of this done you know bejji you have not mentioned one thing in it Hmm. I am an author as well and I've an author and a speaker seven books. and so many other things yeah, and you're finding yeah, yeah. time to reflect absolutely, and absolutely. to write new ideas and to inspire so many people and my two book two books are best selling books in urdu and uh, uh, i think they are critically acclaimed and uh, uh, you know i take i want to be remembered as an author of some good uh, you know pieces as You know have you I don't find equivalent word in English have you heard the word barakat baraka is it blessings of some something more than that to, you know. yeah but i've heard the word yeah you know, let me explain 
if you are sitting in your home and you have a food for two or three people, suddenly two or three friends come. So my mother used to tell me and educate me that if you have a food for three people and suddenly you get three guests, six people will come and all six people will have that food. The amount will not decrease. Everybody will be, alternatively it should have been sufficient only for three. But what is it that six people took that food and fully, you know, satisfied their appetite. So she used to say that this is baraka. If you selflessly serve somebody, God enhances that thing. This is a spiritual feeling. Physically, that uh, food quantity remains the same. But what is it that instead of three people, six people? So, baraka is not only in food. There is baraka in time as well. I have myself experienced that 24 hours have stretched to 48 hours. In fact, it is 24 hours. But you are working something which you cannot do in 76 hours. The time stretches like universe. Time has different dimensions. God has created time for you and me as one minute. But for him, it is one minute, maybe one million years. I cannot explain, you know, this phenomena, but time extends. And if you are doing service to the people, you are working for humanity, you are serving God's people, he stretches the time. Mm. And in a limited period of time, you are able to do miracles. Oh, you know, what did Holy Prophet do did in 63 years of life? Only after 40 years, he got prophethood. And in 23 years of life. And those 23 years of his struggle, first 10 years were absolutely, in worldly term, insignificant. Real success started coming when he migrated from Makkah to Medina. Mm -hmm. And more than 100,000 people gathered uh, at the uh, Hajjatul Vida, the last ceremony. So this is Baraka. Only in 7 to 10 years, a foundation was laid which changed the whole world. So I believe that uh, this is the baraka, and uh, I do uh, simultaneously uh, many things. Another thing is that I believe in delegation. Can you share with us what is your daily routine? Because I think, I know it's probably a little embarrassing, but I also think that the details are what we need to know or have an idea of as entrepreneurs so that we have something to work towards. Yeah, yeah no, no, my da routine is uh, sometimes, it's, it's not a very perfect daily routine. In fact, I also, I, I, I'm always asking good entrepreneurs, that what is your day routine? I, I sleep little and uh, my wife every day when I get up he says that all during your sleep you have been talking a hover, a hover, a hover, a hover. <laughs> Believe you me, he, she says that most of time during your sleep you are talking a hover, you are also working. So you know um, uh, I sleep little, sometimes I get exhausted because of this little sleep but you know so One thing are, I have are you waking up like around Fajr and then after I, that? I, 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 I wake up at 3, three o'clock okay. and then I work one hour, two hours. My, these days my work is not, you know, anything. I just think, I just think, I just think. Hmm. What to do, what not to do. 
where to go, where not to go, and things like that. This is all mental when exercise. When you're thinking, or are you writing it down? Is no, that I, helpful I, I, or I, I, you're I, just, just thinking? Just, just thinking, just thinking and writing on my mind that I have to do. And everything. are you, sorry to get so specific, but are you sitting, are you like walking no, around? No, no, I'm just uh, laying on my bed, hmm. just thinking, just thinking, just thinking. Hmm. And if there's very important something I write, hmm. but usually it doesn't happen. And then uh, uh, I uh, sleep again for half an hour. Hmm. at um, 6 to 7 then i get up then i start working the whole day uh, sometime i i wish i could have slept uh, for half an hour as a nap hmm. because that is the practice of holy prophet it rejuvenates you and prepares you for another hmm. uh, 7 8 hours but i get uh, you know very little opportunity but i go to bed at Seven, uh, eleven, uh, uh, ten thirty or eleven. Hmm. But going to bed is just you know closing your eyes, then again <laughs> thinking about all these things. And, and at what point? And the best you... thing is, uh, yeah. let me just want to say, yeah. you know, I enjoy working for a hmm. If you enjoy something, then whether you are sleeping, whether you are not sleeping, whether you are awake, this is the one thing. Even if I am in a deep sleep and you raise me and uh, want to talk about Okhobot, I will wake up all with all my energy. I will be extremely excited. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's talk about Okhobot. What can we do? Where should we go? What should we, you know, all those things. So, God has been kind that my labor has been converted into a passion. Mm -hmm. This is my love. And then one flip side of that is when you're so passionate, there's also the risk of the burnout. Yeah. And I think uh, many entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs feel this. Benji, you burn out when you work. You don't burn out when you love. Hmm. This is not a... If you, have you, I'm sure you have experienced of love of uh, <laughs> love affair. Every time you're feeling, you're, when you go before your beloved, you feel, you know, that this is the best moment I'm spending in my life. An intense love affair. Mm. This is the best time if I'm... Sometimes I fear that uh, I will be dying so early, but I love this thing so much. But even relationships are difficult. You have some very low moments in those and it's, it's exhausting as well. Because you're so passionate about it. So my question is, is how to manage the ups and downs. I mean, certainly it, there are a lot of ups and there are a lot of lows. I, every day I go, uh, uh, go through many lows, disappointments, which you call frustrations, disappointments. Hmm. But all these are not frustrations in the literal meanings. These are challenges for me. These inspire me more. I think God is testing me. He's testing my passion. He's testing my ability. He's testing my sincerity. I have to prove. You know, one thing I always keep in mind, Azam. somebody asked him that, Mr. Jana, you are 70 years old, but still you work hard. Your nation is not grateful to you. Your nation is, you know, uh, your people are divided, but still you are working for them. So, Kayad Azam said that, uh, look, I am only working to hear one sentence from Allah Almighty. I know there is a day of judgment. So, I am longing for a sentence uttered by Allah Almighty. I wish when I go in front of him, he says, Mr. Jannah, well done. Well done. Well done, Mr. Jannah. He said that whatever I am doing is just to hear this sentence. Well done, Mr. Jana. So I am trying, you know, that maybe at I am before God and God says, well done. <laughs> so this gives me plenty of energy. This takes away all kind of frustration. The more somebody opposes, the more challenged I feel that I should work on him. This is how God is testing my patience. Don't, don't, don't be bothered about results. Just focused on getting prepared for 
that ultimate moment when you will be presented before God. Um, I'm conscious of time and don't want to take up more. But I wanted to ask one last question, and it's a bit of a, you can say, unusual or off topic, but very much dear to my heart, which is I saw a picture of you and Abdul Sitar Idi, Idi Sam. And I was just imagining being a part of that moment or what that conversation might have been like or what that meeting might have been like or I, I was wondering also if you had met uh, several times and if you had any type of relationship um, he's someone who's been a real role model for me and for us at Amal and so I was just curious what that picture was what what that moment was I, actually I wanted to meet him more I wanted to spend time with him more Mm-hmm. I have read his biography, I have read about him, I have, you know, great, great inspiration from his remarkable work, a great human being. But that was a chance meeting. In fact, I went to deliver a lecture in, uh, in NEPA, that is the National Institute for Public Administration. And the second speaker was Mr. Ehi. So I didn't know that he would be there. So that was a chance meeting and... Uh, he was kind and he put his hand on my uh, head and I still feel his hand on my head. Very compassionate, very loving, very caring. Uh, but that was a chance meeting. I just uh, requested him to pray for me and just I requested him to visit Akhubat uh, if he finds time. But obviously he is busy. He was busy in many other things. Uh, I have no personal relationships with him as such. But I have, I'm certainly the generation which got inspiration from people like Akhtar Hamid Khan, people like uh, Abdul Sitar Eidhi. But unfortunately, I uh, uh, didn't spend much time with him. Mm. I uh, am extremely, you know, I appreciate his efforts, but I still think that uh, uh, he has not institutionalized all what he achieved. And for that, I don't blame him at all. You know, sometimes I think that uh, if I don't institutionalize, I should be blamed because I am an educated person. I have read public administration. So if I don't uh, pass on whatever we have achieved to an institution, then I should be held guilty for that. But Abdul Sitar Hidi cannot be held guilty of that because he was not trained as such. Whatever he was trained in, he performed par excellence. So now this is the responsibility of his hires to institutionalize what has been achieved by him. But when I, you know, think about his movement, then I get a lesson that we should work on institutionalization as well. But obviously Pakistan... Uh, is lucky to have a person like him, so selfless and uh, so simple. Uh, no political jargon, no development jargon, no you know uh, big words, just action, just acting, and just you know uh, living his uh, thoughts. Whatever he thought, whatever he said, he lived that. Well, I. Um I think, and, and one of my mentors has often said that we we stand in the best situation. We stand on the on the shoulders of of the giants that have come before us. And when I look at Ahuit's work, it feels very much like um, just the continuation of that vision that Ibisab had for the country and and for the people within the country. And I remember Dr. Kamran introducing you years ago and one of the things he said was that a really great person doesn't make you feel small when you're with that person and i i feel that with you i feel that is the type of person Ibisab was and i think that um the entire country the entire world certainly my team and certainly myself are extremely grateful for the example that you set 
the, the life that you're living and the, the type of work that you're creating and inspiring for all of us to, to try and emulate. So thank you so much, sir.